This is the beginning of a story about the subtleties of autism and a life lived in search of sensory poetics. Hello and welcome. I have written and recorded this sonic musing as a means of sharing my experience with friends, family, and strangers with the intention of fostering empathy and connection. And as I begin, I feel grounded and clear. This is not an exhibition of my wounds. It is a story of healing, a story of sensitivity, belonging, and self-love. So thank you for coming along for the journey. On Halloween, October 31st, 2023, I received three diagnoses after a formal neurological evaluation with a doctor who specializes in high-masking and high-functioning adult women with ADHD and autism. The diagnoses were autism spectrum disorder without cognitive or verbal impairment. This used to be called Asperger's syndrome and is often referred to as level one autism, as well as generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. The latter two diagnoses are related to having spent 30 plus years masking my sensory processing issues, which are the primary concerns that led me to undergo this process. Prior to my evaluation, I had been and still am in biweekly therapy with a wonderful psychotherapist, diligently committed to unraveling what we thought was just complex trauma. I want to share this up front because it is important to acknowledge that undergoing this neurological evaluation was not a random or spontaneous pursuit. It was a small part of a very long and ongoing process, one I have been on for nearly 20 years. And before I get into the details of how autism affects my life as an adult, I want to journey back in time to the beginning. Story bites from my birth go something like this. I was a few weeks late. My mom sensed that I didn't really want to leave the warmth of the womb. She was getting impatient, so she went out for Mexican food. (laughs) I was born shortly after that. I will admit that I love Mexican food. It is often a cuisine of choice. My mom and I enjoy it together, and usually the story of my birth comes up over enchiladas, which is something sweet that I cherish. The important piece of information about my birth is that I came out of the womb screaming and did not stop for many months. My mom describes herself as being extraordinarily distressed during this period of time. She kept taking me to the doctor for insight, and the doctor said he had never heard a baby scream like that. I imagine I was already internalizing narratives of silence, but I have no memory of this time. This is not an exaggeration. My parents could not do anything to soothe me. Then one day, I simply stopped. And from then on, I was described as being, and still am, a quiet, shy, and sensitive person. My hypothesis about my birth is that it was extremely overstimulating and traumatic to be born. I liked the gestation phase, the quiet and controlled environment. I do not believe my emotional state at the beginning of my life had anything to do with past lives or karma. My intuition tells me it was sensory, as much of my life has been. 
When I say I am sensitive, I don't mean socially and emotionally. Certainly, I am that too. But the social-emotional sensitivity is secondary and not what I am talking about when I refer to sensitivity in this story. My sensitivity is neurological. It is a sensitivity to stimuli that results in chronic vestibular issues like dizziness and nausea, digestive issues, processing struggles, communication challenges, and a slow responsiveness to external stimuli. And these are things that I masked for most of my life because I assumed everyone experienced them and simply didn't discuss them. Autism was not something people were talking about in 1986. I am sure if I was born today, my journey would have looked very different. I cannot speak to the developmental aspects of my gestation, but I know that both of my parents, like all humans, live in their version of traumatized bodies. And there is some epigenetic insight into autism, trauma, and birth. However, it is impossible to say what my brain development was or is then or now. If you are interested in the neuroscience of autism, I encourage you to do some research. There is still a lot that is not understood. That said, it is a fact that autistic brains look different than what is considered to be a neurotypical brain. Observations have been made that sometimes there is more white matter and the amygdala is larger in an autistic brain. This is also a trait, (laughs) a neurological trait that runs in my family and is in my genes. I'm going to talk more about what is neurodivergence and neurodiversity later and how that relates to my chosen path as a practitioner scholar of yoga. To say I was a highly sensitive child is a bit of an understatement. I came into this life with an acute sensitivity to light color, texture, sound, and other people's expressions. Early on, I developed compulsive tendencies involving order to control the overstimulation. I was never motivated to fit in or by social belonging and was and still am misunderstood for this. I am much more interested in rabbit holes than tap rooms. My attention veering intently towards the subjects that interest me versus towards social opportunities. But the reason for this is not simply choice, but the result of 37 years of trying to manage a highly sensitive nervous system. The subject of masking is critical in my circumstance and diagnosis, and I want to acknowledge it for all the autistic girls and women out there who have also received late diagnoses or masked to unhealthy degrees. Even if you don't identify with autism, as a woman or queer individual or person of color, you may have internalized the negative impacts of masking yourself. And I want to welcome all these experiences into this conversation. Speaking from my personal experience, and only that, one of the things I learned to mask right away were stemming behaviors. When I was between 8 and 12, I have a memory of one of my stemming behaviors, which was a Tourette being scolded out of me by an adult in my life. When I was alone, I would allow my face to express the tick or Tourette. It was and still is a way in which my life force tries to release through my face when I am overstimulated. As an adult, it expresses as TMJ and a nose twitch, but as a kid, 
it manifested or wanted to express as a large yawning action in my jaw, eyes, nose, and face. It was very humiliating once I recognized it wasn't acceptable, so I masked it. Masking is incredibly painful and unhealthy, as the only reason that tick or tremor was unacceptable was because it made other people feel uncomfortable. Part of my healing process now is unmasking these behaviors because to control them leads to high levels of anxiety. It is very vulnerable to let this repressed life force expression out as a 37-year-old woman with a public-facing profession. Currently, I am experimenting with channeling my life force towards stemming behaviors that don't make others feel uncomfortable, like recently holding an oyster shell in my palm and sliding my thumb up and down its sleek interior. I began my journey as a dancer at the age of three, and I was exceptionally in love with dancing. It was more than something to identify with. Dance was and still is a place where I can channel my experiences into something beautiful and useful without the pressure to be verbal. And this passion has shaped my entire career. Later, when yoga came into my life through the spontaneous introduction to a teacher, I did not begin my yoga journey in a yoga studio, but in a traditional way. I had this similar experience. The feeling was like a light turning on inside my heart. I felt at home in these practices, like my life force expression belonged somewhere. This blissful feeling is in contrast to the continuous experiences of isolation and dissonance I have felt in many other areas of my life, but particularly relationally and socially. To be honest, this aspect of my neurotype is something I am only beginning to understand. I know that I have struggled to make and maintain relationships in my life. I know that compared to many of my friends and family, it seems more difficult for me than for them. I am beginning to understand that most autistic people have this experience. And the truth is that I have lived most of my life believing on a spiritual level that I am broken in this way. If there was one reason that this diagnosis was healing for me, it relates to this. As I was going through the neuroevaluation process, it was probably the first time in my life where I felt the story of I am broken leave my body. My relational struggles are autistic, and they reflect a nervous system that has a lower capacity for certain social-emotional cues. For an autistic person, it takes a lot of work to interpret other people's intentions, emotions, and desires. It is not natural. It is not intuitive. I have, however, found very sophisticated ways of masking socially in order to succeed in my life. But the amount of work I put into that, for example, the amount of time I have devoted to studying the psychological nature of human beings, is how I have fit myself into social scapes. And this is exhausting. Just because someone is neurodivergent and their brain naturally gravitates towards self or their intense interests does not mean that they, we, do not deeply value relationships, love, and belonging. I imagine this can feel like a deep-seated wound for a lot of neurodivergent folks, because we are often genuinely trying our best in our friendships, relationships, and communications, 
but can come off selfish, insensitive, distracted, or inappropriate at times. So what is neurodiversity and what is neurodivergence? None of this language would matter if it wasn't for living in a world with systems. The educational and therefore capitalistic systems that we all rely on have standards that suggest there is a typical way and a non-typical way of thinking. I do not personally believe in the binary. I believe that life force expresses differently in all of us. But for the sake of living within these systems, let's clarify that the term neurodiversity includes all of us. We all make up the spectrum of neurodiversity, neurotypical folks included. The neurodivergent brain, however, is biologically non-typical. Neurodivergent people, let's say, in this case, for example, those who have ADHD or autism spectrum disorder, are taught in various ways that they need to adapt to neurotypical behaviors. And neurotypical people are not taught that they need to adapt to an ADHD or autistic way of sensing, looking, or being in the world. I think that this is why the language matters. As with anything, separation, isolation, and division can cause suffering, can de-unite us. It can also be utilized in a healthy way to build understanding and empathy. This is where my background as a student of yoga comes in, because I am in a spiritual process of working towards unity consciousness. Separation can be useful if it fosters understanding and wisdom. And that is what this diagnosis has done for me. It has liberated the inner child in me who believed she was fundamentally broken. Healing is a process of returning to wholeness. And like the symbol for autism being the puzzle piece, for me this diagnosis completed the puzzle.